Before you stands a rare trio of blooms. The yellow rose of Boston, the gold lily of Portland, and the black magic hollyhock of New York City. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. This week, we talk about the White Rose of Wutai. It's Yuffie, star of Final Fantasy VII Remake Intergrain Episode Intermission. It takes a long time to say, but not that long to play. I'm Maddie Myers. I'm Jason Schreier. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. And hello! Hello! Hey! We are back for we are. another episode. It's Final Fantasy Day. It is. It is. <laughs> it is Final Fantasy Day. It's Final Fantasy Week. Yeah. It's Final, and Fan- Final Fantasy Week for our listeners. The reason I say that is because after this episode, which is about Final Fantasy, we are going to record a bonus episode, a Beans cast after this, about Final Fantasy VI. And if someone wanted to listen to that episode, what would they do? What do you two think they should do if they wanted to listen to that episode? Like, emotionally, morally? There's a, there's a few things they could try emotionally. <laughs> uh-huh. I think they would want to get in the headspace of someone who wants to support listener-supported podcasting. And I think mm-hmm. that practically speaking, they would want to go to uh, MaximumFun.org slash join and become a member. Oh, I was going to say pirate it, but that's a way better answer. Right, yeah. I mean, I guess you could also do that, but don't tell us about it if you do. Um, Anyway, (laughs) go to MaximumFun.org slash join and become a member, and then you can access all of our bonus episodes. We do one every month. Usually we uh, spill the beans about video games and other media on there, but sometimes we just shoot the shit. So, yeah. It's true. It's true. bonus apps. Extra apps you could be getting. This is going to be a good one. We got so much Final Fantasy to talk about, but first, Jason has to talk about a video game that we forgot to mention on last week's episode. Yeah, I felt like I have to do like seppuku. (laughs) I have to like like do a ritual sacrifice and confess your sins. Yeah, I'm very embarrassed that last week when we were talking about E3, I didn't mention Ayudin Chronicles, which was the game, of course, I was most excited about since it's a spiritual successor to the Seagoden series, Um, and that was shown at the Xbox. Conference. I think I didn't mention it. Tell me if you guys are, are convinced by this argument. I think I've kind of blocked it out of my head because usually when a game isn't coming out until like 2023, as this one is, I just don't even, I try not to think about it because like mm-hmm. I don't want to get super hyped over a game that's forever away. So I, I didn't that. even think to bring it up because when I saw it, I was super stoked. But anyway, to I'm in great shame for not bringing up this Sweet Good in Successor. Yeah, people uh, were shocked. A lot of people E3. pointed it out. Oh, because, yes. Uh, it was shocking. It was terrifying. Yes. It was like, is, is Jason's claim that he's losing his memory true? Everyone yes, is, is. is wondering this. <laughs> That's also part of it. Anyway, let's get to it. Today we are talking about Final Fantasy VII Remake Intermission, the new Yuffie DLC that just came out for the PlayStation 5. Um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give some overall impressions um, without getting into spoilers for the first few minutes. And then we will say when we were about to get into spoiler chat and we will spoil the story and the ending because there's stuff that we have to talk about that is spoilery in this game. We will also be spoiling uh, spoiling the Final Fantasy remake, Final Fantasy 7 remake, which came out last year. Um, so we'll give you all a heads up when we do that and you can skip ahead if you want to one more thing. Uh, but let's get to it, shall we? So Final Fantasy 7 remake intermission. So what happened was 
Square released a PS5 port of the game, runs nicely, 60 frames a second, and with it they included this Yuffie DLC. It's like three, four hours long, and it's kind of, uh, I mean, they call it intermission because I guess it's meant to bridge us from the first game to part two of the Final Fantasy VII Remake project. We've all finished it. Um, let's get some initial impressions up in here. Kirk, you want to start us off? What did you think of the Yuffie DLC? Um, I liked it. It was, uh, it was a nice little return to Final Fantasy VII Remake in general. It made me think fondly of that game. It kind of reminded me of a lot of things that I thought about that game, which we have, of course, talked about a lot. There's a Beans cast on the whole game that people can listen to. I think that's even in the main feed from last year. Does that sound right? I believe yes, that it, it was. Um, so there's a Beans cast people can listen to. There's uh, just much discussion of that game. And it still felt like it had been a long time because it's been a really long year. So yeah. going back to that game felt a little like... A, sort of a time machine and it's a fun little tour through Final Fantasy 7 remake. I mean it kind of takes you through the slums areas and you do some stuff there kind of like the first parts of that game and then you go into Shinra HQ and it's kind of like the second parts of that game and then it ends with some cool weird stuff like uh, the end of Final <laughs> Fantasy 7 remake which I know we're not spoiling. Yeah, yeah. so I like that it uh um, kind of remind me that this this combat system doesn't really gel with me. I know some people really like it, but it's just not really my tempo. And I liked the combat in this somewhat. I liked that it was limited and how it worked, but uh, it was still just a little little off for some reasons we can maybe talk about. And um, the music was great. Extremely sax-heavy music in the first dungeon that was super yeah, sick. Yeah, I knew you would dig that. jazzy music really, I was thinking of you while yeah. I was playing it also that sex. part where they're in Shinra HQ and they're riding around on the scaffolding yeah. the, there's like a sick drum solo yep. at one point in that song it's yeah. so cool it's it's like big big band jazz yeah there's some happening part. stuff there's this sax part that plays that I couldn't find there's like a limited soundtrack out that I guess they're going to release mm-hmm. a bigger one which I feel yeah like there's maybe some people on YouTube who've uploaded the full actual soundtrack so I've been listening to those rips what I it. did is I paused the game just to capture footage of just the sax <laughs> thing that plays before it layers in for the boss fight and that's probably playing behind me right now It's cool, though. You can hear the guy count the saxophone section in, and it's like a five-sax sax section, and they're killing it. They're really good. So anyways, whatever. That's kind of a, a, a digression. The a main strong thing, songs diversion here. Yes. The main <laughs> last thing I will say is that I had no opinion of Yuffie before this, despite having played all the way through Final Fantasy VII. She was not a character that made a big impression on me. She's kind of optional, and I treated her that way when I was playing through the game. And this made me really like Yuffie. Um, yeah. So I, I liked that about it. I liked the narrative content quite a bit. Yeah, in the original game, she's a bit of a cipher. She's kind of all you really know is that she shows up and steals your materia, and it's really annoying. And then when yeah. you go to when you go to uh, uh, Wu Tai, her home country, she steals your materia again. So yeah, she's just known as kind of like this annoying little character. And yeah, here she is developed and certainly is more of a fleshed out character than she ever was in the original game. Um, Maddie, what do you think? I know you really liked it, right? I loved it. I I guess I had forgotten that I liked the combat in FF7 Remake more than you, Kirk, because for me playing this, I was like, oh, 
great. Love this combat. So <laughs> glad to be back to it. Love everything about it. I thought that Yuffie's little boomerang was such an improvement. It's not to say I don't like swinging a buster sword around or like healing people as Aerith and stuff. That that was always fun too in its own way. But there was no character who had the boomerang attack in the original. And it's really fun because it, it can connect with all these different combos that she can do that I found super satisfying to perform. And it is kind of too bad that you can't play as her partner, Sonan, who's a new character in this DLC, has never been in any other Final Fantasy thing previously, um, but we can talk about him in a second. He is also there, and you can sort of work together with him to get the job done. Mostly, I liked just how much personality Yuffie has and how fun she yeah. is to hear yeah. from. She's really, she's a child. I mean, it's, it's weird to play... <laughs> Uh, the same game, essentially, in microcosm, as Kirk explained, but through the eyes of someone who isn't traumatized yet, because, like, it's not to say nothing bad has ever happened to Yuffie. Certainly, she's had her struggles in life, and she's a ninja, so she's experienced in combat, but she's also so, like, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, optimistic in so many ways, and Cloud is just not at all, because he's been traumatized by everything that's happened to him and he's also a cipher um and yuffie isn't a cipher yet this is like the prequel before yuffie is the the grim cipher that you meet in part two that we will see i guess I, i'll just be interested to see how they deal with that turn we're not going to spoil anything about this here but we get sort of a hint about her journey in this dlc which i thought was really cool too it's like multiple halves of who yuffie is she's like the ganky girl and then she turns into the grim dark thief and the ganky girl part of her is still in there somewhere and they all get combined. And that's who she is in Kingdom Hearts, which is what's <laughs> I'm familiar with. The true Yuffie. Yeah, you're, you're a great yeah. impression of Yuffie. Yeah, so um, so I also really enjoyed it. Um, it was kind of, uh, uh, it was just a blast to play through. I was, I found myself uh, surprisingly enjoying the minigame Fort Condor, which is this fun little uh, little battle thing where you have to like pop units up on the screen and it's kind of a, a modern day interpretation of the original Final Fantasy VII's Fort Condor, which was a minigame set in one location. Um, but I'll get into that a little bit more in a second. Um, just overall, yeah, I also, I'm with you, Maddie, on really enjoying playing Yuffie. Um, and I really enjoyed the way that you can uh, do this, like, synergy attack with Yuffie and Sonon. Yeah. And those are very just, fun. Just, I had a moment where, a few moments where if you just hold down one button, you just make them both just leap on enemies, like, one <laughs> after another, and it looks mm -hmm. hilarious. Um, yeah. I clipped a video and, and tweeted it a couple of weeks ago and because it cracked me out. Um, but, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really dug the music. And then... I think what really made it for me was the ending and the way that it tied into the rest of the story. Yes. Um, left me with a lot of questions, as I'm sure <laughs> it will leave most people. Um, but yeah, there's some characters who show up that are from other games in the final, larger Final Fantasy VII series. But we will get to that when we get into the spoilers. Um, Fort Condor. So in Final Fantasy VII, the original, there's a location called Fort Condor, and it plays a fairly important role in the story. You have to go there a couple of times. Well, once it's optional, the first time you you walk by it, it's optional, and then you you have to come back later to get the huge materia that is inside there. And the idea of Fort Condor is that 
like it's this condor's nest that um, is constantly being attacked by Shinra soldiers. And so there are these like resistance officers who are fighting them. And to stop them, you have to like participate in this little RTS game. That's like this, this whole elaborate mini game that you can only play when you're at Fort Condor. And it's interesting. It's just one of the many things that Final Fantasy VII Remake is going to have to deal with while trying to re- remake this entire game with the graphical fidelity that it has been so far and the scale that it has been so far. And I guess their interpretation of Fort Condor was not was to get rid of the place and just turn it into a mini game, which which is the implication here, which is interesting because so far what we saw, what we've seen with the Final Fantasy remake experiment is we've just seen Midgar and in Midgar they've expanded and fleshed out a lot, but they haven't really cut a lot. There hasn't been a lot lost yet. And so when looking ahead and thinking, okay, how are they going to remake the rest of the game? You've got to think, okay, they're going to have to stamp out some parts because there's no way they can like hit the same level of scale and scope and fidelity in every other town that was in the original game. And Fort Condor kind of gives you a hint at that future because they've turned what was once an entire location into like a little board game mini game. All that said, it's pretty fun. I <laughs> enjoyed <laughs> playing it. Um, yeah, but but overall, I really liked it. I, I, I kind of... It, it, it was strange at first being like, wait a minute, Yuffie isn't supposed to be in Midgar now. That makes no sense. But it they kind of... They made it work um, as a... As, you, as a mission, as like a little side mission for her. And it was also really cool seeing moments like um, the Sector 7 plate collapse from another character's perspective, which I think is always really interesting in, in media when like there's something you know and are very familiar with and you get to see it from another perspective. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. And it's also just fun to, even though it's silly, it's fun to have Yuffie almost run into the main characters. Like I know uh-huh. it's like kind of corny to have that even be a possibility and to to have to introduce the idea of Yuffie not interacting with them for just the contrivances of like the ways that FF7 negotiates that, um, like sort of separating characters when they need to not narratively interact. And I still enjoyed it though, because FF7 Remake is itself a commentary on the original game and it felt like this DLC was too and was also just commenting on itself almost by being like well why would Yuffie be in this place at this time and inviting you to find that funny and also up until the end which is quite bizarre and serious it's a very funny DLC like there's Mm -hmm. a lot of comedy bits to it and (laughs) some of that is Yuffie but it's also like so not yeah the (laughs) the weird running gag of like I guess they're hard yeah they're beans beans, yeah Yeah, Yeah, they're very hard and you can't bite into them unless you're from Wu Tai, I guess. Yeah, and then, unless you got then those you just Wu-tai have chompers. no trouble, no trouble biting into these beans, and nobody mm-hmm. else can do it. But also, just the the sort of slapstick between Yuffie and Sona, like it, it just felt, it felt like the DLC itself was like laughing at Final Fantasy VII in a weird way that I yeah. enjoyed. Um, and yeah, very anime. Know. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. but it was fun. It was fun yeah. to be there. I don't understand Fort Condor at all, though. I never got good at it at any point. Mm. So that's all you, Jason. I didn't get. You it. have to summon. It's like a rock, paper, scissors, and you have to like su- you have to make a deck of dudes who are like strong against your opponent's dudes, and then summon them at mm. the right times. I wasn't very good at Gwent either, so I feel like mm. this is. It's maybe very just- Gwenty. Where like if this weren't in a DLC, I would have gotten into it because I d- I did enjoy getting into Gwent in my new game plus of The Witcher because it's fun 
when a minigame in an RPG is structured this way, where everybody, like NPCs, you can go around and find the guy, what's his name, the other soldier who you fight it in Final oh, Fantasy VII Roush. Remake. Roush. Roush. Yeah, yeah Roush. Roush. He's chilling, and you can just play against him. Like, everybody plays this game and is obsessed with it. And then you yeah. have to beat certain people to get certain pieces, which is very much like Gwent. And I do mm-hmm. like that approach. I didn't get into it just because, like, it's DLC. I just didn't, if it were folded into the main game, I maybe would have a little bit more. But um, uh-huh. just as a DLC thing, I was like, I'm just going to play through this and see it. Yeah, I'm sure they'll bring it back for part two. Yeah, yeah they probably, probably will. It yeah. seems pretty fleshed out, and it was plenty fun. Um, and yeah, narratively, I like this. It's not quite the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern thing, but it's the same kind of idea. Like, somebody who was there, you just didn't know they were there, who's seeing little snippets of the story as it plays out over a very compressed timeline in this uh, Yuffie DLC. I like that a lot because, uh, like I said, it kind of... It keeps the story fresh in my mind. It felt like a little bit of a time capsule. And given that it might be a while before part two of this FF7 remake comes out, I'm more into this idea of there being some of these intermissions. Maybe this one, maybe there will be a second one. I have some theories about maybe a second one, what that Mm. could look like that we can talk about when we talk spoilers. But um, I like the idea more than I thought I would. It doesn't feel half-baked. It doesn't feel like cut content. It feels really surprisingly co- uh, confident to me. It felt like this really cool thing with this great, well-defined character that's placed very cleverly in parallel and woven through the original game that fleshed it out in some kind of interesting ways narratively and was cool. Like, it, it really narrative. I found it very na- narratively satisfying. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it's worth it. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a wonder what game developers can do when they already have the tools and like <laughs> assets in place and can just kind of have fun sure. with this thing. And so clearly it took them, I mean, clearly they just started working on this after Remake came out, so last April. So it took them about a year to make this, which is, which is cool. And I'm sure it was like a little side team while the main team is working on Remake Part 2. I do want to mm-hmm. say that while there are like big picture rhythmic things with the combat that I just can't quite get in sync with. I really do like Yuffie's combat style. I actually liked that they kept it just to her and had Sonnen be purely support. I think that that keeps it nice and focused. And I liked just having to deal with learning how she works. And I think that that, her star, that like throwing glaive weapon that she uses is sweet because it's really flexible in a way that Cloud never felt flexible because you can throw it, then you can do combos from range, then you can hit triangle and go flying over to where it is. You can then hold square and bounce back away. Like It gives you a lot of uh, mobility options that I thought were really, really fun. And then like you were saying, Jason, I totally agree that it took me a little while to get my head around how to do those synchronized, like synchronicity attacks. But then once I started doing them, those were really fun too. Mm -hmm. There's the, you know, my combat complaints are more like, the way things move and the way that attacks feel like it just, I always kind of wind up getting into weird cul-de-sacs where I'm just not really able to keep up with everything that's going on, especially during some of the boss fights. And it just doesn't quite, it feels too stretchy to me or something. So I've, I've never quite gelled with it, even though when I was especially first starting out as Yuffie playing some of those basic, um, those like uh, basic combat sequences and at 60 frames per second on PS5 as well, I found it, really fun and I was like oh am I gonna finally really click with this combat system and it was better like I I liked playing as her more than I liked playing as Cloud but then in the end by the end I was like okay this still it's just not quite gelling with me but it's probably a me problem and not the game's problem yeah Um, I feel like the other thing that is a huge improvement is just aerial attacks in general like anytime there was an aerial enemy in the original game I feel like I never got good at it and I would just always have to switch to Barrett and just shoot them until they were gone because I just couldn't quite get the hang of it with any other character leaping in the air 
But with Yuffie, it's so natural for her for whatever reason. It just feels really easy to like throw the glaive at somebody and then swing up there, do a bunch of com- combos and then leave. Like it just felt really great totally and natural agree. in a way that the other previous characters didn't. Some of that could also just be them refining the system over time. And maybe by the time part two comes out or if there's another one of these DLCs, it'll keep on feeling better it's not Mm -hmm. i i don't even entirely disagree with you kirk like especially one of the final boss fights has like a bunch of just sparkles on the screen and it's like very hard to tell what you're doing and that's just a design choice that (laughs) i don't think is i I, there's nothing parsable on the screen at various points in in that battle there's like moves happening and i'm like seeing these readouts and the title of what's happening i'm like i'm just gonna get creamed by something and i can't even see what it is like that's kind of what i'm talking about in general (laughs) yeah yeah that part not great (laughs) worth noting that now that we're on ps5 it's all running at 60 frames a second which i think makes a big difference in terms of how the combat feels and in terms of how everything feels i mean it's way more enjoyable to play a game like this at 60 frames a second as opposed to 30 which uh the original remake just garbage just awful garbage and we couldn't stand to look at it (laughs) okay let's get into some spoilers so this is a warning for people um why don't we bring in future kirk to tell us what timestamp to turn to when we are done with our spoilers for one okay so i'm gonna invoke him i'm gonna summon future kirk he is going to say the timestamp that you should skip to for one more thing right now 41 minutes and 17 seconds Okay, and he said it. I, I'm sure. I'm sure it was beautiful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It was so weird Kirk. how we could hear it too. That was like amazing. That yeah, super crazy time yeah. travel. We just summoned him. In here. He just appeared. <laughs> it was um, like magic. Speaking of speaking of summoning people who shouldn't be there, how about that ending of Final Fantasy VII intermission? So first of all, I don't know if you how much you guys did reading on this, but um, Nero and Weiss who show yeah. up towards the end of this. Uh, the DLC um, are characters from Dirge of Cerberus, which was the mm-hmm. shooter released on on PS2 that stars Vincent Valentine, the other optional character who didn't show up, but who hasn't shown up yet in remake because um, he's sleeping in a coffin right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, they're just weird. I mean, people can go. I won't get into all the lore, but essentially they're like brothers and they're part of this Weiss runs this this organization called deep ground that kept, that kept getting mentioned which is like this top secret shidra military organization and it's yet another example of them bringing in just like totally outside canon into the remake and making this like the the, the ultimate final fantasy 7 experience including every little spin-off and, and side story so it's interesting it's interesting to see them um but i think what's way more interesting and sonan had a cool send-off and that was a fun story and all but i think what's way more interesting is the stuff we saw afterwards where we got a little bit of a hint as to where the future may be going so for those of you who have not played it yet essentially um we got to see a fun a fun little sequence of of our party on the road after leaving midgar which they did at the end of the seven remake um they they got to uh, uh ride in the back of a truck and they got to see calm and With it was all Bill. very fun chocobo bell um and then we got this crazy scene where Zack, who in, at the end of Final Fantasy VII Remake was revealed to be alive in like what appeared to be an alternate timeline. Zack shows up at the church 
in the Midgar slums um, and he knocks on the door and he's like pacing back and forth. It's this adorable scene where he's like practicing what he's going to say to Aerith when he sees her and he knocks on the door and he goes in and Aerith is nowhere to be found. The church is full of people crying and injured and like people after some sort of cataclysmic event. Um, The implication there is that it's these people after the Sector 7 plate fell, like these are the refugees and so they went to the church. But here's the thing, the Sector 7 plate didn't fall in Zack's alternate timeline where he is alive and he has just gotten back to Midgar. So it is all extremely confusing. Um, Maddie, did you take any time to think about this or or look up what people are saying or theorizing, theorizing about this one? I didn't, but I did think about it a lot because I also had the same questions about the plate falling, I guess. And oh no, of course, the obvious question is like, is Zach not actually in an alternate timeline at all? Is he in their timeline and he's going to run back into cloud and cause all sorts of problems? They like, I mean, it's all but confirmed that he's in an alternate timeline because at the end of the remake, um, the dog stamp, the the Shinra dog was completely different in the Zach sequence that we saw. That is true. Yeah. So, like, there's no, unless they're, like, really just screwing with us, they're, like, totally inconsistent. They were essentially saying this is an alternate universe where Zack is alive. Mm-hmm. But I guess the plate could fall for a different reason in Zack's alternate universe. Or, I mean, Kirk, yeah, you look like be. you have a theory. Go well, ahead. Well, or the people could be crying for a different reason. I mean, we right, are assuming true. that right. they could, they just seem sad. They could be sad for right. lots of reasons. Right. I expected Aerith to be there because I expected this to be the reveal that like in Zack's timeline right now, Aerith is still alive. But yeah, you you have to, it really breaks your brain when you think about it too much because there's like multiple realities right now. There's one that's like the original Final Fantasy VII reality and then one which is the path Cloud and Barrett and crew are on right now, which is Final Fantasy Remake timeline where they killed the Whispers and so therefore they get to change the course of of the original Final Fantasy. And then I guess Zack is on a third timeline because he wasn't in the original i had thought that final fantasy 7 remake like break killing the whispers also caused zach to be alive but then the whole stamp thing made it seem like it was an altered timeline so really my head is just is just broken right now i just am <laughs> totally lost on who's where and why i'm a yeah. little bit loose on some of it since i didn't read a big refresher on what happened at the end of um, remake Sephiroth though seems to know everything right like he seems to maybe exist outside of all of this so he's maybe the thread that's sort of combining these now I guess three timelines if you count the original FF7 that was how I read it too yeah. well so in remake well so in remake Sephiroth knew the future but so did Aerith so it seemed more like they both knew so like what happened was in remake they were all getting flashes like you, you might say flashbacks or flash forwards to right. the events of the original Original Final Fantasy 7, right? And the Whispers of Fate were trying to keep them on track to make sure that they were following the course of the original Final Fantasy 7. But then at the end, they kill the Whispers of Fate. And Sephiroth is like, it's it seems like he wants them to, but also he doesn't want them to. Not super clear. But, um, but at the end, they kill the Whispers of Fate, so they have officially broken the original timeline and they are set on a course where anything can happen, which was the whole idea of the end of that game. It's like suddenly they're in this unknown and like the, the subtitle at the end was like, like into the unknown future or something like that, which I thought was amazing, like an incredible way to do a remake of a game. But then the Zack stuff totally trips everyone up because of the the the, the <laughs> alternate reality stuff. Yeah, I mean, could definitely be played fell for a different reason, a different tragedy, a fake 
fake out of some sort. Um, I almost feel like there it is a total fake out, and Aerith is going to appear in the church there, like uh, next time we see Zach there. But yeah, there's really it's really <laughs> a good little teaser because it left me it left me with some questions. Yeah. Do you think they're going to do a Zach DLC, Kirk? Is that your prediction? Because I have seen people talk about that. I mean, maybe they will. No, my prediction is, so here's, I'll just give my prediction now. So um, I did not play Dirge of Cerberus, though I do like Vincent Valentine and am aware of him as a character and have been sort of curious, you know, when he's going to turn up. My theory is... If they did one DLC with Yuffie, the optional character from FF7, that they would do a second one with Vincent, particularly given that they've introduced Nero and Weiss, two characters from Dirge of Cerberus, who are intimately involved with uh, Vincent, sort of lore-wise. And the fact that it's called Intermission with the Intercapitalized makes me think that they're now going to release Intermission with the Mission Capitalized. And uh, this is just my little <laughs> shot call that I thought of right before we recorded. And wouldn't that be cool? And then it's uh, Intermission, and it's starring Vincent Valentine, and we introduce him. Because he's kind of the last character that needs to be introduced, other than I believe Sid is a playable character in FF7, who hasn't been uh-huh. in your party yet. And it would kind of track for those two those two DLCs to play out in a sort of similar fashion, especially given that they're introducing characters from Dirge of Cerberus who were involved with that, like, ultimate materia, the proto-materia and all that shit. I did read some about this because I haven't played Dirge of Cerberus, but that all makes uh-huh. sense. And seeing Nero, I mean, I was like, oh, well, this is some Vincent Valentine shit, because Nero's, like, yeah, got the yeah, guns he looks and like, he's kind yeah. of vampire He's like a vampire guy? Yeah, yeah. 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 But, but, Kirk, unless it's a prequel... Uh, I mean, I guess it would have to either be a prequel or they're just totally breaking everything. Because Vincent, but they right are now, breaking everything. According to canon, like he put himself to sleep intentionally, like because he was depressed over Lucretia and Hojo and all that jazz. So he is in a, in a coma right now. He's like asleep in a coffin. Yeah, but he could come out of the coma. I mean. That's not really going to stop them. <laughs> like he could wake up under different circumstances. Sure, yeah. yeah. Well, it'd be hilarious if, like, well, if, imagine if they had it, like, oh, well, he was asleep for two hundred years, except for that little break in the middle, and then he went back to sleep. Or he just wakes up, up early, you know? I don't know. Like, yeah, they just for some yeah. reason. Yeah. It was wild. Yeah, 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 Bunch yeah, of stuff. Yeah, happened. they encounter him in a different way. I hope we don't get more DLC. I just want part two already. Like, I want to see where this main story you know, is going. I don't actually agree. I would be fine with more because I really enjoyed this. I liked the little teases because the thing that I liked is. As much as I don't know the particulars and what's going on with Zach and everything, I liked how confident it was. It made me really mm. think these people know what they're doing, that this is yeah. part of a plan. This, there's a narrative, you know, <laughs> it's drawn out in a spreadsheet somewhere and this is all going somewhere. Really? This doesn't, you really think so? I, it seemed very <laughs> confident to me. I don't know. I, I mean, I agree with you that it's very confident confidently made, but there were some parts of this that were a little Kingdom Heartsy, and I don't yeah. mind that. But I know Jason eventually will. Like, I feel like there will be a break in the timeline where I continue to enjoy the, the remake games. Yeah, I mean, and Jason, the like five history. years from now, will not be playing them anymore. Don't get me wrong. I'm not predicting that this is going to tie together like some perfect puzzle box. This is, you know, this is already uber messy if you try to actually figure out what's well, going yes. on compared to there's like three timelines going or something. I don't mean that it's going to be really neat. It just seems like yeah. this isn't some half-baked thing where they're not finished and they have no idea where they're going next. It at least mm-hmm. seems like the next few steps have been plotted out and that's that's exciting. I don't know. My I have a theory that they ended the last game having no idea where they <laughs> That's that's mm. kind of my hunch, but yeah, I, I I appreciate your optimism. I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think they have the next few steps plotted out, but I also think they might be really 
weird and won't make internal sense according to your your theorizing Jason like I don't I think it'll be like a situation where if you think about it too hard you will not enjoy it like a Christopher <laughs> mm-hmm. Nolan movie basically yeah like you're, you want to just be along for the visual spectacle of it all and not think about the science aspect of the science fiction and you'll be fine and I'm down um, for that <laughs> I do think maybe they could do a DLC that's just the the Nibelheim flashback as a DLC leading it so they don't have to drag down the story with that when we get into part two because that'll be the next thing coming up in part two and that, that part was always kind of a drag because it's a flashback and especially now that everyone knows what happened so maybe that'll mm-hmm. be a DLC I don't know mm. but I like your I like your optimism and I like your your theories um yeah I mean it's <laughs> the alternate timeline shenanigans are always gonna blow like like yeah, just like Kingdom Hearts. It's just going to make everything messy and complicated and convoluted. And and who knows? But I like the idea that, like, that um, by defeating these whispers, it's almost like at the end of season five of Lost where they set off the nuclear bomb and it split everything and, and it made everybody... Well, I guess it was kind of a fake out. Maybe it's not like <laughs> the end of Lost because those weren't actually alternate timelines. It was kind of a just a... a a fake out the whole time but it's like what we thought the end of season five of lost was where this big cataclysmic event happens and it splits the course of time into two paths and i like the idea of like zach showing up and him wandering around maybe that would be a better dlc him wandering around and finding this midgard that is like totally different from what we've seen it before and maybe totally different things are happening in there and yeah all sorts of shenanigans to come yeah, I could see that happening. It's definitely a very popular fan fiction premise that I've seen a lot in the past 20 years of reality where people imagine like what if Zack had lived and Cloud hadn't. I mean, that's there's there's a lot you can do with that premise, even though Although Zach Cloud is, was alive. It's interesting right, that we didn't see him right. in this continuation of the story because at the end of Final Fantasy VII Remake, we saw Zack like with Cloud stumbling together towards uh, mm-hmm. what appeared to be a different Midgar than the one we had just left. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense for Zach to go to a different Midgar, partly because they can keep using the sweet Midgar assets that they build. Which <laughs> that's true. I got some nice economical, some nice knowledge yeah. out of here. Also, you know, I mean, the the biggest question and the biggest question of this whole thing is going to be, what do they do about Earth's death? And yes. that's the question that looms over FF Seven Remake. It's still the question that looms over that looms over the UV DLC, even though she's barely in it. It's just it's it's the great unanswered question to me. And the more parallel timelines there are, the more options they have. I mean, there's a lot of escape hatches now for for uh-huh. interesting uh-huh. ways that they can deal with that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do wonder, and I wonder if maybe I had a thought that maybe like everybody was crying in the church because Iris was dead in Could that be. timeline, and like maybe Zach survived but Iris died. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the Yuffie stuff because there's some interesting stuff in there. Aside from the Sonon plot, which is clearly self-contained, and like I doubt we'll see anything of Sonon again in, in future. Really? Stuff. What? Um, he like claimed his body. Nero like took his body. You don't think we're going to see Sonon again at some point? Oh yeah, I, you yeah. think he'll be a villain? Yeah, yeah I guess he'll be a villain. Yeah, yeah. Sure. he's going to be like um, a vampire guy. Have to save him or something. Yeah, I guess that's true. Okay, fair (laughs) enough. Well, I just didn't think like the whole sister story felt like it was it was it was self-contained. It was like well, she'll be a vampire too. She'll be back. She'll be a vampire. She'll She'll be in one of those mechs. She'll be be working for Shinra. It's going to be like a horrifying turnabout. 
It in the Vincent DLC, <laughs> you have to go around and shoot them all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, but, um, but she also had some interesting stuff where she talked about her dad and like had some awful relationship with her dad and talk, like Sonan said he trained with her dad and, and he was, she was like uh, talking smack about him. So there's some interesting hints at like what we might see from Yuffie moving forward. And I kind of expected her to run into the main cast like at the end of it all. But no, instead we see her humming the Chocobo theme and going off on her merry way um presumably to go back to the forest where you find her in the game um just kind of randomly hunting um but it made me excited to see like oh man they're really gonna expand wutai between this and like also continually bringing up wutai as as a part as like a uh, an overseas enemy for shinra and for midgar um it seems like they're really expanding some of the the wutai lore which i think is really interesting and i'm excited for some yuffie father shenanigans yeah, I am too, because I, I don't know that it ever has been fleshed out as to why she was trained as this ninja by her father, supposedly. Like, why is that even her life situation? Does he know that she's on this quest? Like, in the Yuffie DLC, Sonan seems to think that her father sent her there, but the way that Yuffie talks about it makes it sound like maybe she just came mm-hmm. there of her own accord, and she's just kind of taking everybody for a ride by using her father's name. And that's all a lot more detail about her situation than we ever previously had. As far as I yeah, can remember. In the, in the original game, you basically you fight through a bunch of bosses in a pagoda and then you fight her dad to get the uh, her ultimate weapon. And he's like the, the ninja trainer guy and, and she they have a couple of random lines. There's a whole quest in, in Wutai that's pretty fun. A whole optional quest that's that's fun in, in the original game. But yeah, um, the Wutai like Shinra stuff and like some of the political conversations about like, oh, we're not so different, but actually we're really different was really interesting to get into. And that stuff, I think, I think is is I think credit to a lot of the writing in both this and the original Final Fantasy VII remake because there's a lot of stuff that's dealt with in in more nuanced, subtle ways than you might expect from Final Fantasy stuff. Yeah, from a from a game in which there's a character that is Scarlet and acts like Scarlet and looks like Scarlet, aka a game <laughs> with literally no subtlety at all. Um, mm. I enjoyed the all the stuff about Wu Tai. What you were saying, it's kind of building on something that they set up in the main game, which I think is interesting. Um, just that there is this sort of scapegoated other nation that um, Shinra Corp is using as a scapegoat mm-hmm. for everything. And also that Shinra sort of invaded them, which is, you know, just a sort of weird thing about this this world, that there's a corpor- a power company, a corporation that has an army, which has, of course, been the case this whole time, but that they invaded mm-hmm. this country and there's just like a, sh- mm-hmm. a war against this corporation waged by a nation of people. And yeah, yeah. I think like Sonan... A nation that's Asian-inspired, it's worth noting, whereas yes. Midgar is clearly very Western or Eurocentric. Um, right. Wutai right. is full of pagodas and Eastern-style architecture. Yeah, so I think Sonan also sort of fleshed that out and just made Yuffie way more of a character. I mean, they alluded to Godo, is that his name? Her father is yeah. Godo, who is yeah. her trainer and this really big deal in Wutai. And obviously, he will con- he'll continue to be a character. But did they even say his name in the in this DLC? I think he starts to say it and she cuts him off and is like, don't even mm. say his name. Yeah, so we don't yeah, even yeah. know who he is, but they're clearly teasing it, which means uh-huh. we'll, we'll learn more later, which is cool. It just It means they're kind of fleshing it out in a way that... I've found valuable about FF7 Remake in general. By slowing down and taking more time, the world feels more lived in, despite, like I said, it being this totally ludicrous place filled with outrageous characters. 
as well. They kind of managed to have their cake and eat it too in a way that I'm enjoying. <laughs> what do you mean, you, Scarlet's not subtle? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nuanced character. Um, yeah. I mean, what did you guys think of the whole the Sonon stuff? I mean, were you moved by him, his sister thing, and him having the. Did it, it felt a little Last of Us to me. Like, oh, I'm going to replace you. <laughs> I'm going to replace my dead. Kind of rushed and crammed. Yeah. I mean, it was very predictable. Yeah. I met yeah. him. I was like, well, this guy's doomed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah. I feel like yeah. the prediction hey, that I wonder he was going to die was yeah. already out of the bag as soon as he was announced as a character. And it was yeah. like, oh, yeah. someone who's never been in a Final Fantasy before. And yeah, he's not going to make it. Well, I, either he was going to turn out to be a douchebag and who would be run yeah. off. But no, when it turned out he was like the super nice guy, then yes, you knew he was going to die. Mm-hmm. I feel like the only thing that really stood out to me of that is how much the sister looked like Yuffie, which I was just like, you didn't really need to do that. Like she had yeah. such a similar haircut and she even <laughs> had like the little glaive hair hair clip that was like the same as Yuffie's yeah. little boomerang in shape. And they kept showing it. And I was like, did you need to give her a hair clip that was exactly the same <laughs> shape as Yuffie's main weapon? Like, why would she even have that? That doesn't make any sense. And I just <laughs> found that really silly. Like, I got it. You could have had the sister look completely different and I still would have been like, Sonan lost someone and now he wants to make sure he doesn't yeah. lose the next person that he fights alongside, whoever they are. I could have come along with you on that plot point without making it so literal. Like, even <laughs> Yuffie herself yelling, like, I'm not your sister. I was like, I get it, guys. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I understand what you're putting there, Yeah, I'll subtlety out the window for that one. Yeah. Um, okay, why don't we yeah. break a little bit early? Because I want to give a little extra time for Maddie's one more thing. That'll be my teaser here. So let's take a break, <laughs> and then we'll be back with some good old one more things. Hi, my name is Graham Clark, and I'm one half of the podcast Stop Podcasting Yourself, a show that we've recorded for many, many years. And uh, at the moment, instead of being in person, we're recording remotely, and uh, you wouldn't even notice. You don't even notice the lag. That's right, Graham. And uh, the great thing about this... Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay, and... Okay, go ahead. And you can listen to us uh, every week on MaximumFun.org. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Your podcasts. Hi, I'm Allie Gertz. And I'm Julia Prescott. And we're the hosts of Round Springfield. Round Springfield is a Simpsons-adjacent podcast where we talk to Simpsons folks about non-Simpsons things. That's right. So in the past, we've gotten to talk to legendary showrunners and writers like Al Jean, Bill Oakley, Josh Weinstein, Dana Gould, Mike Reese, and David X. Cohen. Voice actors like Maurice LaMarche, Maggie Roswell, and Yardley Smith, the voice of Lisa Simpson herself. Hell yeah. <laughs> so we've been away securing guests for our final five episodes we won't tell you everybody but we'll let you know that the last episode is kind of a big deal we got matt graining <gasps> homer's dad we got homer's dad check out new episodes of round springfield starting june 21st on maximum of fun or wherever you get your podcasts smell you later And we are back. You feel you feel DLC is over. Let's talk about our one more things. Maddie, take us away. Start us off. Let's get into it, shall we? <laughs> okay. I'm so curious to know what you think of this, Jason, because I this is a this is a conspiracy theory. I'm going to describe a conspiracy theory to the listeners. Jason's written an article about it. 
I don't know if Jason ascribes to this conspiracy theory or not. I guess we'll find out today. But first, I'll explain what it is. And the Please. listener can decide if they ascribe to it or not. So <laughs> I... I would I would say this is called like the blue box conspiracy theory, although, of course, it's also the Silent Hill conspiracy theory that has plagued Deo Kojima basically since the release of P.T., which if listeners remember our episode about video game demos, P.T. was the demo for Silent Hills, the ill-fated <laughs> game mm. that that never, never emerged, but has has a viral demo that people still obsess about and still think to themselves, oh, if only Hideo Kojima had been able to make a Silent Hill game. It is the dream that will never die and it will so not die that people have pieced together a conspiracy theory that there is an indie game company that is a shell for Hideo Kojima's Silent Hill project and that this company is fake and that the main figurehead of the company um, who is named Hassan Karaman is an actor who is pretending to be working on a horror video game for this this company called Blue Box, but he's actually been hired by Hideo Kojima at all. And, and soon, why do people any think day that, now, Maddie? Why do people well, think this? I think people, well, I would say people think it because they want it to happen so badly, at least initially, and they're looking for clues anywhere. Like, this is not the first conspiracy theory of this kind to emerge, although it is perhaps the most credible one. There's quite a bit of evidence. I would say I saw the first evidence when Jason G chatted it to me and Kirk in the form of a Reddit thread that had everything from sort of fairly credible evidence, like like a tweet from a Blue Box account about implying that their game would start with an S and end with an L, which suggests it's going to be Silent Hill. Fairly credible, especially since it's a deleted tweet. Two more absurd examples of evidence, like Hassan Karaman's initials are HK, Hideo Kojima's initials are also HK, which is kind of like, well, a lot of people's initials are HK. And, and Karaman in Turkish translates to Hideo in Japanese. But what is that? really mean i mean i i know you put that it's in your just article, a crazy but... coincidence okay so so okay so i think that that part of it an important part of this two important parts of this one of this is that hideo kojima has a 20-year history of fake outs and yes. marketing plans and ARGs it's, and stuff it like is that. like him to do something like this yeah. and that he's done it in the past he likes weird marketing stunts and args etc and like tweeting cryptic things and and he's hired actors in the past to pretend that you know, a company is is something other than what it truly is. So in that sense, it makes sense that people are looking everywhere they possibly can for Silent yeah. Hill. And thing number two is that the original game, so the game was announced, this game abandoned by Blue Box Game Studios was announced in April. And the blog post is very strange. Um, it's got this trailer that it turns out is is kind of, is a bunch of pre-made Unreal assets that were bought in on the Unreal Marketplace. And this weird voiceover, this kind of untrained actress voiceover. Um, and then it has this blog post that is like full of these lofty promises that do not seem possible from this unknown developer. It's like ultra-realistic graphics, 4K, resolution 60 frames a second and then all these other kind of gameplay mechanic promises that seemed a little too good to be true and then you kind of start looking up the 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 company on the internet and you find this weird history of like failed kickstarters and no actual games that anyone would really know suggesting that there's more to the story here so it's not just the the that people want to believe it's also that there are a lot of gaps that aren't filled in here there are a lot of questions that aren't filled in here so when i first saw this (laughs) when i first saw this all starting to emerge which was last week when i first started reading about this um 
I was totally sold. And the main reason I was totally sold is because Jeff Keighley started teasing it. He posted like a DM from Hassan uh, saying, hey, asking like asking if he could share um, uh, uh, his image, like if he could do in the announcement with him. But the DM was screen capped like 20 minutes after it was sent. So it wasn't him just coming out now and being like, oh, here's here's a screen cap of this DM he sent me. It was like he screen capped it for some reason right after it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then don't he you did, screen cap all this, your DMs, Jason? <laughs> oh yeah, I, every single time. And then he did this video where he was like, where someone asked him. He did a video Q and A on Twitter, and someone asked him about it about Blue Box, and he has this like big smirk on his face, and he's laughing, and he's saying, "Yeah, I think we'll find out soon. Stay tuned to my Twitter feed." And like he essentially makes it seem like he is about to unveil this game. So that is what really pushed me over the edge. Um, then I started doing more research and reading up on it, and like looking into Blue Box and Asana, and it seemed way less likely to me. And then I spoke to him. Um, on Monday, um, he. By the way, this entire time he has been denying uh, that this yes. is related to Kojima. He is certainly a real person. I spoke to him for an hour on the phone. He is a real person. He he is not an actor um, unless he's one of the best actors that I've ever talked to. Because he struck me as someone who is like an indie game developer who's kind of in over his head and is certainly a little bit. Um, uh, uh, not prone to answers when it comes to certain things. So like he, I was asking him about some of his history and he wouldn't really name people who he works with, even though he said he worked with a bunch of people. He wouldn't, he talked about how he had funding, but he couldn't say where the funding was from. Um, and it'll all make sense later. He, he talked about how he had signed a contract with Sony and that didn't really, like he didn't really elaborate on what they were doing for him or anything like that. Um, he had been, he's been saying that they're revealing the game through an interactive trailer app on the PlayStation 5 um, which is totally confusing because nobody's ever done anything like that before but he's saying they're releasing an app that will be a trailer you can interact with um, so there are all sorts of weird questions surrounding this and this is why it's turned into this conspiracy there it's not just like some random ass like like hey I'm making Baba as you wait you think I'm a Kojima game um, you, uh, here's my name here's everything like you here's where my money came from like it's there are a lot of questions behind the indie developer that there aren't usually when you get an indie game announcement. Like, hey, why is this featured on the PlayStation blog? Why is PlayStation marketing this game that doesn't really seem to be a game that PlayStation would usually market? So there are a lot of questions surrounding it. All that said, yeah, I mean, I don't really think that it's a Kojima conspiracy anymore. I haven't for a while. I did for like two hours after the Keeley thing. Now I kind of just feel like Keeley was just like feeding into the hype. I feel like this is someone who has made too many promises and now is now kind of scrambling trying to figure out what he's going to do next. I don't know. There's a whole, there's a lot of just like weirdness surrounding this whole thing. Mm. And that's why it turned into such a big thing because there's a lot of weirdness surrounding it. Um, yeah, it's kind of too bad if it it is just some guy who's in over his head because now there's a whole lot of attention on what would otherwise just be a failed project that would peter out and maybe <laughs> not be very embarrassing and like the other people who yeah. work on it could rally and get other jobs or whatever if it is a failure. If but there like, are other people who work on it. I mean, it. yeah, or it's a, an elaborate scam. I mean, maybe it's a different kind well, of conspiracy. I don't want to say scam because it's not like he's asked for money from anyone. If he started right. asking for money, then I would feel more inclined to be like, wait a minute, hold on. But I, I it's hard to say it's a scam. It's, it just is weird. Um, I think that, that what's 
yeah, it's kind of I've seen a lot of sentiment that is like people feeling bad for him because he got because he got caught up in this thing and like he's probably going to get death threats from angry gamers if when it turns out that this is not a Kojima thing. And that all certainly sucks, but I think most indie developers would also kill for the kind of attention that he's been getting like in the with a glut of indie games like this game if not for all this, this game would have been destined to just be never played by anybody um if it ever comes out in the first place. Now he has like he has command of like hundreds of thousands of eyeballs. And I think that's something that's super valuable. So I do think that like, ultimately it could work out in his favor. I don't know. I wouldn't be shocked if the game never came out, but it could work out in his favor. Yeah. It seems like it'd be pretty hard for him to spin it into a good thing though, unless he like had a really gifted comedian writing some ads being like (laughs) the game you thought would be made by Hideo Kojima and totally isn't. And like just use that as part of the marketing campaign to get people to actually check it out. And then if the game was any good at all, yeah, that's slightly good. Like, yes, theoretically, if the game is good, if it lives up to the, to the promises that he's made and that's, that's where he's in trouble. Or even if it's like kind of good, like good enough to be a cult hit where people are already looking at it now, as you say. And like theoretically, right. all those eyeballs have some value if you can just get people to try that your thing. But if it's not actually good and it's just the disappointment, then it's useless and there's no way to capitalize yeah. on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kirk, any thoughts? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I've read about this and... um there's a lot there. I mean, you read, you start, it's like any conspiracy theory where you read the posts and you start to be like, oh, it is an anagram of Kojima and, you know, and seeing that stuff. And yeah, given the whole like Moby Dick Studios. No, that was, that was the real one. Moby Dick Studios, Joachim yeah. Nogren. That actually was an anagram of Kojima. Right. No, it's that right. it was that the guy's initials are HK. The initials, um, yeah. Yeah. So like that, um, that sort of stuff just starts to add up. And then Keeley, like you said, Jason, I kind of looked at that. And I was like, oh, well, this seems like this is something. It'd be kind of weird for Keeley to embrace this if he knew yeah. that it was just an indie dev with nothing going on. Because Keeley knows full well that doing that will kind of put this guy in a spotlight that he maybe doesn't deserve to be in or need to be in. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of an X factor here. But I really have no idea. I mean, it just goes to show like all of the sort of half speak and double speak of video game marketing can sometimes just perpetuate something like this because there's just (laughs) nothing solid because maybe there isn't Mm -hmm. even a solid game there almost can't be and then that creates this weird situation where people fill in the gaps and create an alternate reality that hopefully they all just feel like was entertaining no matter what happens and nothing bad comes of this and it's all fine yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. That almost never happens with these sorts of things. No, no it doesn't. <laughs> so, I don't know. I think maybe people who are fans of long-running series, whether it's like the people waiting for Half-Life 3 or waiting for another Silent Hill or whatever, they should just... I don't know. Make fan games. <laughs> Get over it. Like, no, I don't think that's fair. But I, I also think that it can lead to weird sad behaviors that are not ideal i don't know yeah. use use the energy productively don't send death threats to people i don't Definitely. know that's my that's my controversial take no death yeah threats. this is all combined by the way with rumors that like silent hill actually is being revived so that yes. might still very well be true because there have been some credible rumors i believe it was vgc andy robinson of vgc had reported that like a japanese developer is making silent yeah, hill, i mean so Resident Evil is killing it. Silent Hill is a long-running, powerful brand. Right. It's not such a stretch to think that it could come. No, back. not at all. 
Anyway, let's move on. All right, I'll go next. Um, I'll go quick because uh, mine is the same as last week. The House in Feta Morgana, which I'd started playing last week. Last week I was talking about how I'd like, gotten into it and was really digging it, gotten like a couple hours in. Guys, <laughs> this past weekend, <laughs> I literally did nothing but play this game. I was, uh, I, was <laughs> I was on Long Island with my family and literally just sitting there reading for probably 12 hours on Saturday with occasional breaks to deal with my toddler. Um, (laughs) This game is incredible. It is like, it is this novel, visual novel that is unlike any other visual novel. Cause instead of like the visual novels that I really like and that you guys really like the Danganronpas and the zero escapes of the world are very much like kind of hacky sci-fi, like with these elaborate twists and turns and murders and like very much like pulp, pulpy um, fiction. This is very much literary fiction and it's really, really good. Not only is it really good writing and art and music, music is incredible. Kirk, you would die. Both of you would. Um, It's just, it's all, it's a really good package, but also it's like, it's got these fascinating themes and exploration of subjects like um, depression and, and all sorts of other stuff that I don't even want to get into because it's spoilery, um, including gender issues in a way that is just about as well handled as anything I've seen. Like certainly the best handled. I've never seen a Japanese made game handle some of the issues that this game handles um, as well as it does. And I just cannot recommend it enough. The House in Fata Morgana, it's like 40 bucks on the Switch, but it's totally worth it. It's like buying a mega novel. Think of it that way. Because there are no decisions. There are a couple of decisions and some of them lead to bad paths or whatever, but you can save anytime and, and it's only just like s- selecting text options from a screen. You're basically just reading the entire time. It's a book essentially, um, more so than any other visual novel I played. And Highly, highly recommend that you both check it nice. out because both of you would love this game. Just be prepared that it's very, very long, sometimes repetitive, like and and too lengthy, too too padded, but worth it. Mm. <laughs> worth okay. it. Okay. Really, really okay. worth it. Nice. All right. Really good. Forty bucks. Okay. Forty dollars. Yeah, book. it's forty bucks, but I I do not regret <laughs> spending forty bucks on it because it's like an enhanced book. It's got music and mm-hmm. and visuals, pictures. and cool art and pictures. Yeah. No, it's really sure. good and. And really, uh, really well done. It's just just to give a quick summary to anyone who missed last week's. Um, essentially, it's about this mansion and this curse over this mansion that, or this alleged curse over this mansion that keeps uh, bringing misfortune on anyone who lives in it. And the game starts off by w- you get to witness these kind of tragic stories of like different centuries and what happened in the mansion. And as the game goes on, you find out why these stories are connected and how they're connected. And then you get to see the overall story and different perspectives of stories like we were talking about earlier, sort of like the, the Yuffie story. Um, and it's just epic. It's, it feels like reading an epic novel, an epic tapestry of a novel and highly recommend it. Go check it out. The house in Fata Morgana. Nice. Worth playing. Cool. Kirk, what's your one more thing? Well, I thought I'd give everybody a, uh, an update on Gloomhaven, the uh, tabletop game that my tabletop group has been playing since the last time I talked about it, which was way back at the very beginning of Triple Click, if memory serves. It was, it was wow. almost a year ago that we started. We still, we've been playing it every week. Um, this is a great game. You've been playing every single week since then? Wow. Yeah, almost every week. Yeah, we play on Mondays. And um, we used to go to a bar in Portland where people get together to play tabletop games. It's kind of a place in in the Northeast. And we weren't able to go there all year, so we were playing on Tabletop Simulator. This is These are all things I've discussed in past one more things, but just to summarize really quick. Tabletop Simulator is a Steam app. I, th- I think it might just be 
elsewhere too, but we play through Steam, that just simulates tabletop games. So it's just a sort of table that you then all load into, and then there's just a game there, and you can download uh, mods, like presets for all different kinds of games, and it just has a bunch of scripts and sort of objects, so you can just create the cards and the physical items for every game. There's a very good Gloomhaven mod that is, you know, um, using the Gloomhaven IP without, I don't think, with permission, but we own Gloomhaven. I, I generally recommend if people are going to use Tabletop Simulator for a game that they should own a copy. We actually own, but in our group, we have two copies. This is a huge game. It comes in a box the size of a sarcophagus. Totally would take hours to set up um, or an hour. It takes a very long time to set up and tear down. Thanks to Tabletop Simulator, it's really easy for us, so we can just play for a couple hours each night. Um, we recently got together in real life, though, because we've been getting into it. This game is really good, really complicated. It's a sort of turn-based um, tactics RPG, like kind of like Hero Quest, but really hardcore Hero Quest. Anybody who knows Hero Quest, um, just you know, like a fantasy. You know, we have a rogue, and I'm the spellcaster, and we have a tank, and similar kind of strategies on like a hex grid, and um, it's tough. It really requires a lot of sort of careful planning and play. And we've gotten really into it. And so we got together, um, because we're all vaccinated now, we could get together. And we got together for brunch a couple weekends ago. And we were like, well, what should we play? We have all these tabletop games between us, could bring one. And we're like, you know, I really just want to keep playing Gloomhaven. And <laughs> rather than make Sean, who has our copy of it and is kind of our, our leader, make him set it up, let's just all bring our laptops. So we all just brought <laughs> <Wow>. our laptops. <laughs> and then we sat around the table with laptops on Tabletop Simulator, like on Sean's Wi-Fi. But it was great because it was the same experience as playing a tabletop That's game. It's so funny. It's like a LAN party. It's like an old school LAN party. It was exactly yeah. Like that, um, though with a bunch of you know, like my gaming PC is a desktop, and I just brought my cruddy little like MacBook that could barely run Tabletop Simulator. Um, but it was really fun just because you know we had like pastries and we ordered pizza and we were all hanging out and it had the and you energy. You don't have to worry about the pizza like getting on the the, the table. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. One cool thing that we did do is since Sean has the game, he gave us each our deck because this game is card based. Um, all of your abilities, actually everything plays out with cards, which is actually really cool. It's a very well designed game. Um, and so now I have the spell weaver, the orchid spell weaver, which is in my character class. I have the deck of cards and it is actually really nice to just have my hand in real life when we're playing on steam, when I'm at home. So I can like look at my hand and I play my cards like they match up with what I'm doing in the game just so that I can really quick look at my cards, which is nice to be able to do. So we started doing that when we were together. So it's a nice little hybrid now where we have, you know, some of the physical objects, but then the convenience and the setup of running scripts and like beginning around and just initiative gets set in it like automatically, which is really, really nice. But it's a great game. I mean, it's it's a really good game. So wait, so so are you playing the same campaign that you've been playing for a year? Like this game literally takes a year to Yeah, to it's yeah, it's a like really involved, you know, multi, multi, multi mission. It's it's like more like a, a sort of legacy game in some ways. You destroy cards, you play through. It, it takes forever. It's the kind of thing that I think people probably play like in really hardcore long weekends. But we're all we only play a few hours each week, so we ba- right. we don't even finish one scenario in a night, which you're supposed to be going through those kind of quickly. And we're a little slow because we're very um, old. Like min maxi, we're very careful, um, um, so we uh, we don't rush through things. We could probably play a little faster, but yeah, we're still going on the campaign. But the main campaign of Gloomhaven, I think, is like hundreds of hours long. 
um, I wow. would guess, depending on how you play it. So we could be playing it for a very long time. And there's an expansion coming. And we say games, and we say video games are too long. They're not, not compared to Gloomhaven. Well, it's not too long. No, I would never say that this is too long. No, it's good. It's, it's a very good. different experience playing it for a few hours every week with a bunch of friends in, you know, in real life in that tabletop kind of way. But it's great, man. It's um, really good. What if it, at the end of your Gloomhaven campaign, it turns out you were playing a Hideo Kojima game all along? And they reveal <laughs> yeah, that it was actually Silent, Silent, Silent Hill? Hills. It could happen. That would I'll, be really I'll keep you both posted if we find any Easter that's, eggs. That's the twist, by the way, in the house in Fathom Morgana. Right. Um, wow. Okay, cool. Let's call it for today. Yeah. Kirk, Maddie, it was fun chatting as always. I will see you both on Monday for the Beans Cast. Yes. And then again next Thursday. All right. Beans Cast time. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.